everyone. Welcome to the Reach the Stars podcast. I am your host, Jonna Willoughby Lore, and today my guest is an amazing entrepreneur. Her name is Ree Dolnick, and she is the owner of Jekka Energy Bars, and uh, they're hella tasty. If you haven't had one, you should go get one. We'll have links where you can order them at the end of the show. Welcome to the show. <laughs> How are you? Hi, Jenna. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm good. I'm good. Um, so Rhea and I met, uh, we were both winners of the Ignite Buffalo grant a couple of years ago that helped to foster our businesses <laughs> and uh, ignite our growth, which was so fun. And um, the whole group of all of us, there were 27 people, 27 companies that all won grants. And it was kind of like, uh, sort of like extended summer camp sort of, you know, it was like we had our kind of graduating class and we were all, you know, this, these business owners who all got to know each other because we all uh, won these grants together and they did all these collaborations and press events. And it was really, it was really pretty special um, to be part of that, especially because it's the only time they ever did it. So it was like a really special thing. Um, and so I got totally hooked on Jacobars because they are delicious and thanks, Jenna. <laughs> um, I just wanted to have Rhea on my show because I love her story of how she ended up founding a company to make energy bars. <laughs> um, so do you want to tell everyone a little bit more about you and how you how you got where you are today? Um, well, uh, you know, I, kind of, I feel like I kind of stumbled into it because Jekka bars was always supposed to be my like side hustle kind of thing. Like I didn't have enough to do. I just, uh, daughter went off to college and there were so many things going on in my life. I just wanted something that was light and fun and it was going to be a side gig. And that started off this entire journey. And we're to a point where now it's, it's my life, like 100%, maybe more. <laughs> but you know how that goes, right, Jenna? Yes, yes, exactly. So... Can you tell everyone a little bit about what you what you did with your life before you even thought of starting Jacobars? Like, what did you do when you're in your previous life, right? Oh, in my pre yeah. So um, I'm going to go all the way back to college because it actually has a role in what I do now. So while I was going through college, I was working part time as a sous chef because one of the things that I really loved was food and cooking. And, you know, I used to bake all the time when I was a kid and stuff. So that was like a, a natural way to make some extra money to support my college tuition and so forth. Um, beyond that, you know, I went, I went into science and spent the, you know, 20 plus years of my life working as a cancer researcher. And, you know, through that whole process, I was still really involved in food. And as we learn more and more information about how our body works and all the toxins that are in the food and all the illnesses that were happening, it just was horrible. And I know that I was conscious of that my entire life, being focused on the right ingredient, excluding something um, if it's really bad for you, chemical wise. Mm -hmm. So, you know, moving into this energy bar was kind of a fluke in that the kids were eating this kind of stuff all the time. And, and then when I needed something, I figured, well, all these people are eating energy bars. I'm going to try some and see if it could make my life easier. And it was horrible. I mean, <laughs> yeah, a lot of them really taste like sawdust. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it's like they say it's healthy and it wasn't healthy. It was like glorified candy and it was loaded with preservatives and sugar and just all kinds of really awful stuff. And just as I kept my daughter from eating Lunchables when she was really little, I was I was seeing all these kids eating energy bars that were just as bad. Mm-hmm. So I figured I was going to make some homemade and for myself and and. It just took off from there. So it, it just combined my, you know, what I knew about what we shouldn't be eating uh, and combining that with how to make really good food to create this this bar that was going to be convenient that I can enjoy and I could give to my friends with no guilt to share it with my family. And that was the beginning of Jekka Bars. So for people who have no idea and just eat whatever is around them, what kind of things do you purposely put in your bars and what kind of things do you avoid for, for people who are not like super nutritious conscious, but might want to be after listening to this episode? Right. Um, so it's, it's not very complicated, really. I mean, you just have to think about what kinds of whole foods are you going to eat? And I don't mean it has to be like vegetables all the time or anything like that, but like certain things are really good. Like we know that oats are really good, right? Because not only is it whole grain, it gives your dietary fibers and, you know, all kinds of really great stuff comes from oats. Um, fruit. Okay. It's, it's hard to put fresh fruit into a bar, just going to have a mush. But if you get, dried fruits without any kind of chemicals like sulfur and things like that that are in the dry fruits as preservatives if you get the fruits that don't have all that it's fine and the upside to that is you get the sweetness you get the dietary fibers you get the minerals and all the benefits of the fruit and you don't have to use sugar table sugar and actually the kinds of fruits uh, sugars that are in the in the fruit is different than table sugar yeah. And our body processes it differently and it's sweeter than table sugar. So you could use even less mm-hmm. um, and nuts. Everybody knows how good the nuts are for you. You get all kinds of minerals and protein and vitamins. And again, if you get the kind of nuts that don't have preservatives or extra salt or, you know, all this stuff, you know, it's good for you. So these are all the kinds of things that you're going to have in your pantry. So if you eat in the whole food kind of way with ingredients that are minimally processed, you're going to be fine. And those whole foods really fill you up. So you don't really overeat either. So mm-hmm. then that portion control comes in. So that's it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure, that, I'm sure pretty much everyone who's listening to this at some point in their lives has had one of those little tiny Quaker granola bars, right? They're like, yay, big, a hundred calories. You could eat like 5,000 of them and still not feel full. Right. <laughs> right. Um, so the difference, main difference for me between those and your at your Jekka bars is that the Jekka bar is only about this big. It's all I think there may be two, maybe 300 calories on some, the ones that have more nuts in them. And but because of what they're made out of and they're just so filling, I mean, I'll eat one of those and I'll be good and for several hours. And yeah. in a way that eating something that looks like a granola bar, but it's full of chocolate and stuff like that. You eat it and your body burns up that refined sugar really fast. And, you know, then you're stuffing more snacks in your face a couple hours later. So 
Um, I always try to have Jack of bars in my office to, to keep me and my employees going strong while we're making stuff up here in the studio. I actually don't have any today because we ate them all because they're so good. <laughs> Thanks, Jenna. Yeah, they're, they're, that's the thing. It's really actually perfect to hold you over for two to three hours. It was never created to meant to replace a full meal. But there are so many, you know, instances when we're working, when we're out and about, when we're driving, where you can't really have a nice home cooked, you know, healthy meal, mm -hmm. in which case you want to have a go to grab and go. That's going to give you that kind of value for mm -hmm. that time until you get to uh, your meal. Yeah, so it's perfect for that. Yeah, and especially like as a mompreneur, I'm always like out and about. I'm obviously pre-COVID, I was out and about a whole lot more than I am now. Um, but always being on the go like that, if you don't have some way to bring something healthy with you, then you find yourself just, oh, I'm starving right now. I'm just going to go through the drive-thru and I'll just get some fries or I'll just get this or I'll just get that. And then you realize that you've accidentally eaten like a couple thousand calories that you didn't <laughs> plan on eating that day. Um, spent probably 15, 20 bucks or more that you didn't plan on spending. Right. Um, so yeah. I usually try to keep Jack of bars in my bag when I'm out and about, I'm like, Oh, I'm hungry. Oh, I'll just eat this. And I'll be able to get home and then like actually cook a good dinner and not have to yeah. go to McDonald's or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I joke around with people in Buffalo and I say, you know, you should keep a box in your car all the time. Cause when you don't know if you're going to get stuck on the road, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> seriously, snow and stuff. So, I know, yeah. seriously. Um, so I want to know, where did the name Jekka come from? Okay, so that's a funny story. Well, maybe not. Um, so Jessica is my daughter. And when she was really little um, at daycare, um, the kids weren't development, no, excuse me. So they weren't developed enough physically to be able to say Jessica. Mm -hmm. So I went in one day to pick her up and all these little kids were calling her Jekka and that kind of stuck. And I feel, I felt like she's all grown up and she's left the nest and I really missed her. And I just felt like I needed another Jekka. Aww. So the company was named that because it's sort of like my second baby. <laughs> Aww, I love that. That's Thanks. funny because my, my youngest name is Thurgood. And he's still, he's just turned three, so he can't really pronounce it perfectly. So he, a lot of times will say, I'm too good, too good. And a lot of people <laughs> say, what's his name? What is he saying? I'm like, he's saying Thurgood, but yeah, yeah too good. <laughs> Those kind of things stick with you forever, right? It is so endearing and, mm -hmm. um, and it's special because yeah. you remember what, what they sounded like and what they looked like. And it's just... As a mom, it just really um, makes you want to embrace those little things. I know. It's just like when they when they start saying certain words and the way that they say it is totally wrong, but you hope they never learn how to say it right because it's so cute. <laughs> exactly. Like yeah. he, he used to say when he first started talking about airplanes, he would point at an airplane. So we knew that's what he was talking about. We had, he had this book of planes and, and he loved it. And he was always like this book, this book. And he would open it and flip through and he would point at the airplanes and go, I'm you, I'm you. And we're like, what is he talking? Why does he say I'm you? We're like airplane. He's like, I'm you. And then one day I saw him, he was playing with a toy airplane and he was making it fly around. And he was like, I'm you. And I was like, Oh my God. Oh. 
That's what that <laughs> means. That that's the sound that the airplane makes. <laughs> and uh, he has since learned how to say airplane, but I miss the days when he went Amu all day long. Yeah, I know. I miss that too. Yeah. I think it's his new thing. Instead of saying, I don't know, he goes, I can't know. I can't know. <laughs> I can't know? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, what do you know? Can What's this? I'll ask him, you know, any type of question. I go, I can't know. I can't know. <laughs> you need to record that and have it forever. I know. Oh, my God. He's the sweetest. It's so funny. <laughs> so aside from... Um, running Jekka as your uh, second career. Um, what else have you been up to? We've been talking a little while. Like what, uh, what other things light your fire out in life? You know, what things do you really love doing? I wish I could say I'm doing really interesting things. <laughs> um, but this has taken over my life completely. <laughs> and I feel like everything I do is trying to, um, get the business to grow and work on all kinds of aspects, which I know absolutely nothing about, you know, like for example, I had to spend the last couple of weeks learning about electricity. <laughs> I mean, somebody's talking about input, output, you know, phases and all this stuff and going, holy crap, I don't know anything about electricity. So hitting the books, learning about circuitry. <laughs> So stuff like that. <laughs> um, so unfortunately, it's that. Um, oh, I know. So um, I, I speak Korean. I'm Korean. I was born in Korea. But I haven't used it in so long um, that it doesn't come to me naturally any longer. So during the pandemic, I really went into watching Korean soap operas. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny because it's just so melodramatic and stuff. Mm -hmm. But I have to say, my ear for understanding Korean and speaking has gotten better. So I'm back to fluent. That's awesome. So hey, that's, you know, that's like, been good. That's so cool. So how old were you when you came to the U.S. from Korea? I was eight. Eight. What was it like? I'm always so curious about people who come from somewhere that's not the U.S. and end up in the U.S. and what your what your experience is just kind of. Yeah, um, your whole life in a, a day. Well, it was really hard to comprehend what was going on. Right. I remember uh, my parents dressed. With, I have two sisters and I'm the middle one. So I'm the ham. Um, she dressed us in identical dresses because she didn't want to lose us at the airport. Okay, so we get on with these huge suitcases. We come and we land in New York City because my father knew someone in New York and we were going to stay at their place. And we got off the airplane and I saw this girl. She was blonde, blue eyes and really fair. I've never seen anyone like that in my life. Right. I've only seen other Oriental people. And to me, she was so fair. And I turned around and asked my mom, I said, mom, look at that girl, is she dying? <laughs> and my mom said, what are you talking about? I said, she's so pale, she must be dying. <laughs> 
<laughs> so that was my first experience and the first sight I saw when I got off the plane. And then um, we lit, then we stayed in this, um, I, I think they were, I'm not really sure, but I know they were row houses. I don't think they were brownstones, but there was unlimited supply of bananas and I just went nuts. <laughs> because the only time that we could have bananas was if my father somehow was able to get it from the um, U.S. military base because it wasn't readily available. So it, it, was, it was interesting. They didn't speak a word of English. Uh, they tried to teach us, but, um, you know, I didn't speak a word. And I think I was pretty terrified because I didn't leave my parents or my sister's sides because everything was different. Mm-hmm. And we would turn TV on expecting because my I Dream of Jeannie used to be one of my favorite shows. And I remember turning on the show and I couldn't understand a word she said because all of a sudden she went from speaking Korean to English. <laughs> yeah. How long did it take you to to really learn English and, and feel comfortable? Um, well, we moved from New York after about a month um, to Maryland because my father had a job. And so we came there. Um, once I started school, I think it took about six months. They had me in the um, English uh, English as Second Language program. Mm-hmm. So we had to go through, we, we were pulled out of classes and we had to go through that. And, you know, they used to show us flashcards and show words and things like that. But it's, it's like learn, learning by thrown into the fire, right? You, mm-hmm. you talk to other kids and at that, when you're that little, you're not self-conscious. So you just keep blabbing until you could speak, <laughs> <laughs> which is what, it's just what um, we all did. Um, my older sister, who was 10, she still has an accent when she speaks English. Mm-hmm. But for myself and my younger sister, um, no, we don't have an accent. That's so cool. I always love hearing people's stories of just coming from somewhere that's totally different from me and just say, because there's a lot of people who have no idea what the world would be like if bananas were not readily available. You know, like that just doesn't occur to them that they could just go to the store and get stuff anywhere. Um, And there's just so many people, you know, people who've lived their whole lives in the U.S. who've never gone to any other countries and don't have any idea how different it is in so many other places in the world than it is here. I mean, yeah, I mean, food is a really big thing, right? Because we eat so differently. And I just remember I couldn't eat American candy because it was just so beyond sweet that it didn't taste good. Mm -hmm. It took a while. And then, of course, I loved it. But um, (laughs) initially, the first time it was it was like, oh, it's just so sweet. Do you you think that um, coming from Korea and having just this totally different idea of um, what food should taste like as a kid has helped to influence you starting Jekabar at all and your love Um, of cooking and stuff like that? I definitely do. I mean, um, so at least in my parents' generation and, and me growing up with an older generation, It was not of a lot of hugging and kissing and warmth and telling you that they love you. They just don't do that. That's not part of the culture. 
Mm-hmm. But one of the ways that they really show how much they love you and, and care for you is by uh, through food. Right? Mm-hmm. They're always putting out this huge homemade dinners. My mom cooked everything from scratch. She was a wonderful cook. And so like we all came together, no matter how busy or awful, you know, we all had to sit down and eat these meals because it was the one time we could all come together and she put a lot of effort to cooking all this food and she she didn't grow up eating processed food mm-hmm. so even though she couldn't find all the ingredients in in the american grocery stores she bought what she could that was the closest to what we could find in korea and then she made do mm-hmm. with the ingredients that she had it was always really good so i so i grew up eating everything from scratch And I think because of that, when I eat processed foods, I could taste all the chemicals. Mm -hmm. I don't like it. And so as soon as I was able to learn to bake and all these things, I started doing that all from scratch. And that way I could control how much sugar I added and all these things. So I'm positive that my background influenced um, me going in this direction with food and just being so focused on on that and that whole concept that food is for enjoyment, mm-hmm. not for um, not for the whole sake of health benefits. So even though you have that, mm-hmm. first and foremost is food is um, for enjoyment and that um, sharing of fellowship and love. Mm-hmm. That's the center of food, and that's how I've always approached it. I think that's awesome. So when you were doing cancer research and you were working obviously full time and, you know, your kids are in daycare, um, how did you navigate the role of being a mom that was working all the time? And and were you still like cooking all the meals from scratch or did you like that? I'm always trying to get tips from anybody who was better at it than me. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I think I was. I was like, uh, I was fanatical. I think I was crazy. (laughs) It was absolutely nuts, right? Um, Yes, but I still did cook from scratch. Um, I used to plan out meals for the entire week. And so when we went grocery shopping, I knew I had all the ingredients. Because, you know, even if you want to cook, if you don't have the ingredients, you're going to not want to run out. It's just a big mess. Mm -hmm. So... I had to be super, super organized. So I had lists and lists and lists, and that included meals. So the grocery, since I had the entire week planned, I could be very efficient about um, changing up different kinds of food every week, every day, Mm -hmm. so that there's not overlap. And if possible, I would make something to be able to make two meals. So that one day we eat a fresh, eat something fresh the next day and the third day reheat the one from the two days ago, that kind of thing. Um, And that worked out really well. My daughter hated it. She wanted, oh my gosh, she just, she wanted to go out. She wanted to get Happy Meals and she wanted me to pack her um, like peanut butter and jelly. And sometimes I would pack her peanut butter and jelly, except it would be my homemade peanut butter and my homemade jam. It's just like, she just wants regular Jiffy peanut butter, <laughs> that kind of thing. So it was, um, it was an interesting thing to do. But looking back, I'm really glad I did it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it took a little planning, but it's not as much planning as people think, you know, and certainly it's cheaper and you're getting better stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny when my first baby was little, when he was first, you know, just five, six months old to go to start eating baby food. I was like, Oh, I'm going to be like this perfect gung ho mom. And my kid's only going to play with toys that are made out of wood. And (laughs) (laughs) there'll be no plastic in my house. And I'm going to make all of my organic baby food. And I would, I made all this baby food. I just saw my, my Facebook memory was a picture of all this baby food that I'd made for him. That was like, all of these like pureed greens and and steamed carrots and fruit and all this stuff. He would never touch a single bite of any. (laughs) I actually still have some of it in my freezer because I'm like, someday I'm just going to thaw it out and throw it in a a smoothie. (laughs) He's five and it's still in my freezer. Oh my God, it's hilarious. And I'm like, it's got to still be good. It's been in the back of the freezer. I think it's okay. Uh, But it's just funny that, um, for me, before I had kids, I ha- had all these grandiose intentions, like, oh, I'm going to be like this kind of parent. And then when I actually was putting it into practice, I was like, this is not working. At all. <laughs> yeah. So you, know, you do have to make compromises and you try to do this as the best you can. Right. But there's just going to be times when you cannot. And there's nothing wrong with grabbing a happy meal. And because you just there's just no way that you're going to get to that. Yeah. But at least we're all going to sit down and eat together. Right? Yeah. We do try. So the wins you can. We do try to do that. It's it's just so tricky. I, mean, I like cooking. I really love cooking. And between when I got married and when I had my first son, um, I made it a point to figure out some kind of exercise that I really liked doing that was fun for me. Mm-hmm. And I got really good at cooking and was tracking all of my food that I was eating. And I lost like 40 pounds and was like in the best shape of my adult life. And then I got pregnant. And as soon as I got pregnant, my son was just like my husband in utero. And he was just like vegetables. And I (laughs) could not eat any vegetables when I was pregnant. And and I had these like insane pregnancy cravings for stuff that normally wasn't something I would want to go eat. I mean, I was eating so healthy that I, I would eat carrots and say, oh, these are so sweet before I got pregnant. And as soon as I got pregnant, all I wanted to eat was chocolate milkshakes and fried chicken every single day. And I, I like had to have a chocolate milkshake every day, a big one. And I didn't get brain freeze anymore. It just went away. I would drink the whole chocolate milkshake in like 30 seconds. I would just kind of open my face and just pour it back. Oh my God. I gained like 60 pounds while I was pregnant. I was huge. Oh my gosh. it was just crazy that um, the second that I had this this part of my husband's DNA in my body, it was just like, oh, yeah. And then I would just eat just like he would all day long. Garbage <laughs> food all day. I, I don't even know how he's still even remotely healthy because of the garbage food that he eats all the time. And I'm still trying to get back to it. My my son is five now. And my youngest is three. And I'm still trying to be like, oh, yeah, I got to cut out some of this junk food. And it's just so tough when there's junk food around the house. And I, I love cooking and I'll make really good, healthy dinners for me and the kids. And the kids won't even take a bite. They won't even touch it. Uh-huh. 
<laughs> and then I'm like, well, I guess you're going to have yogurt for dinner again. Cause, uh, I'm not making two dinners. And so sometimes we have chicken nuggets cause that's what they'll actually eat. Cause I don't want them to eat sugary yogurts for every day, but right. You know. <laughs> yeah. You, you got to pick your battles and you can't force a kid to eat if they're not going to eat, you know, I'm not yeah. going to be a parent that says, you can't leave the table until you finished all of this food. And I, you know, I don't want my kids to have like a, a negative relationship with, with food and, yeah. and being forced to eat when they're not feeling like they want to eat, you know, and that kind of thing. It's, I think that's a really um, kind of, I don't know. I guess that's like an American tradition is like, you're sitting at the table and you're eating all your food. And, you know, yeah. um, I'm, I'm, don't want to my kids to have that association, but I also don't want them to eat cookies for every meal, you know? I know. I mean, every, every family is so different and like, and every child is going to be really different. And within that, you know, within that umbrella, you have to pick and choose how, mm-hmm. how, how things are going to work out for you. And also, you can't spend a hundred hundred percent of your time trying to figure out what your child is going to eat. I mean, you're so busy yourself with your with your multi, your business and so many things that you do. I mean, it, it's really impressive how much you are doing. You know, so oh, nice to hear that. Sometimes when you're on the inside of the family and you spend so much of your time doing things that are not, you know things that are t- typically expected of a mother, you know, cooking and cleaning and keeping the house together and doing all that stuff. And, um, it's really, it can be difficult not to feel guilty for time that you're spending doing something that you love doing. That's not necessarily, um, officially taking care of the family or taking care of the kids. And, um, I'm glad that I, have figured out a way to do something that I love with the majority of my day. Um, but it can be, it can be tough to kind of fight back against those stereotypes of this is what, uh, you know, is expected of a mom. And it's so many things that are not expected of fathers and yeah. you know, fathers are just like, they could go to work and if they come home from work and do anything to be with their kids and take care of the house, then they're praised for how good they are for doing more than just working. And, and women are like demonized for going to work and then demonized for not working. If you choose not to work and you stay home with your kids, then you're not contributing to your family. But if you are, then you're a crappy mother because you're not at home all the time doing all these things and being on the PTA and hand sewing all the Halloween costumes and all this other stuff that's like expected, um, of mothers and I don't know know. if it's just our society, but in general, I just think it's, it's, it's a lot to ask of women to do that and to give up what they love and sacrifice their bodies and their lives and everything for their children. And, um, it's a, it's a tough thing to navigate the mom guilt, you know? I mean, it's, it's so amazing that in this day and age that we still have these issues, right. That, um, the women are expected to have these, these defined roles. And somehow we have to live up to that. But that's, that's just a whole, whole different issue completely. Mm-hmm. But I think um, women also have to realize in some ways that role is put upon us because with our maternal instincts, in some ways we care more. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so we, we do it. Yeah. Um, and there's this guilt that we can't do it all. Yeah. And, and I don't agree with that. I feel like we can do it all. 
maybe not all at once, mm -hmm. but we can do it all. So for whatever stage of life you're in, if you prioritize what's most important to you mm -hmm. and work through that, realizing that you have your whole lifetime, yeah. um, then I think we can have, you know, whatever we wish for. Yeah. I mean, before I, I had kids, man, I was meticulous with my laundry. <laughs> like, <laughs> I used to sort of had lights, I had brights and I had darks and I would like hand wash all the things that said hand wash and oh, I would hang God. up all of my jeans. And as soon as I had kids, that was the first thing to go right out the window. I mean, I did. I don't even sort the laundry at all. Everything we own that's white is gray. <laughs> It just is. I have washed and dried all sorts of things that should not go in the washing machine by accident because they were just in the they were just in the pile of laundry and I didn't notice and threw them in the washing machine. And um, it's just funny how things that you think are so important um, or that you spent a lot of time on before you had kids, you're like, oh, that doesn't matter at all anymore. And I mean, like more that. precious that the time becomes for you you realize you make choices to cut things out, you know, little whittle, whittle it down to that core thing that's going to be the most important. And it's funny that you bring up clothes because I think my palette of my clothing is black, dark brown, <laughs> dark this, and that's it. Because <laughs> just for that reason, and no dry cleaning whatsoever. Everything oh, yeah. is washable and it's going in the laundry in the same color and nothing can get damaged because it's all dark. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do still have some brights because, you know me, I'm a, I'm a bright, shiny person. But um, for the most part, they're uh, they're pretty color fast. So it makes it. <laughs> yeah, this is true. Oh, man. So I don't want to run out of time. At the end of all of my episodes, I ask all of the guests the same five questions. Do, 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 do. It's five question time. Okay. So the first question is tell me about an experience that shaped who you are today. Wow. That's a really difficult question. <laughs> um, okay. So I was really, really shy when I, um, up through middle school mm -hmm. and even through high school. And Talking in front of people was like, it's terrifying to me. I'd rather die than do that. You know, somebody put me in the grave. Um, but I remember going through and right after college, I was working at uh, Johns Hopkins mm -hmm. and I was a student there going through a program and I had to present to the lab group what I'd been doing. Because every three months we used to have a meeting of bunch of people and and I knew they were big people and here's me terrified and I had to do the lab presentation 45 minute talk with 15 minute answer question and I was terrified and I asked my director please 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 don't let me do don't do this and he goes oh no you'll be okay Ree. you're gonna do this I went in and I was the most god-awful presenter you can imagine. <laughs> it, I, my voice shook for the entire time. I don't even know how I got through, got through it because my voice was shaking so badly. I don't even know how I stood there. And then afterwards, I cried my eyes out. I went to the bathroom, cried my eyes out. 
And I came back out and um, this man was standing there. He goes, oh, you had a rough time. He said, yeah, <laughs> I did. <laughs> and he said, well, let's just go have ice cream. <laughs> so we walked down to Bell's Point and um, had ice cream. And I felt much better. He asked me if I was better. I said, yeah. And he goes, good, because you're going to do it again next week. <laughs> said, oh, my God. I just, and he made me do that three times. And by the end of it, I think if I felt he made me realize, yes, I can do this. Mm-hmm. He encouraged me to go to grad school, get things done and to move on. So I feel like without his help, I don't know what I would have would have done but working with him and forcing me to present um my research to to this you know group of pretty powerful people um gave me the confidence that I could go on and pursue research and and do that so I think that was really pivotal yeah I can imagine that having having those skills um now that you're an entrepreneur and you have to pitch your company to investors and things like that I mean the ignite grant that we both won had a a major component of it was being able to pitch your company in front of a group of really influential people and you got a couple minutes to sell them on it and exactly i I think it still terrifies me don't get me wrong i've never gotten over that that feeling of being terrified and i think that's just who i am but what that experience taught me was that i can do it and at the end of it i'm still going to be alive (laughs) it's not going to kill me there's so I think that's what most people have to realize that it's okay to be afraid, mm-hmm. but you know, you have to work through it because at yeah. the end of it, you're going to be glad you did. Yeah. My mom made me start reading my poetry to people when I was about 12. Oh, that's I was, fantastic. I was so dorky and I had very few friends at school and she brought me to this open mic full of adults. And she's like, you need to read these poems. These are great. And you should go up there and read them. And oh man, I was terrified. And my paper was shaking like crazy and no one could see my face because the paper covered my whole entire <laughs> face. But by the time I got done reading this poem, everybody started clapping. And it was that feeling that I got when the whole room had been kind of, I had the attention of everyone and they thought that what I had to share was awesome and worthwhile. And I was like, oh man. And I got hooked on that, that feeling right away. And I'm just so, so grateful that she made me do that when I was 12. And now, now in my life, I'm way more comfortable on a stage with a microphone in front of a whole bunch of people than I am like at a party when I'm kind of in a room with a bunch of people, but I'm not on the stage. It's so funny. Yeah, that those are really different skill sets, right? Yeah, you know, that she she told me at the time when I said, Oh, I'm so nervous, she said the only difference between nervousness and excitement is fear. That's not easy to overcome though, you know? So for some people they can, but if you're not one of those people, uh, you can still do it, but it takes effort. Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a skill. I mean it's like a you know, when you first start riding a bike, because it's not easy the first time you do it. But after a while, you know, same thing like driving a car. I mean, there's so many times that once you've driven for a couple of years, I mean, you just get to the point where you don't even realize what you're doing. You just get somewhere. How did I get there? I wasn't even paying attention. And it becomes second nature. And, and as far as performing or, or presenting in front of people, the more that you do it, the easier it gets. And it, I mean, it really, it took me a while to get 
where I wasn't a little jittery beforehand. And there are still times that I'm like jittery beforehand, but I, I tend to tell myself inside my head, if I'm feeling that what most people would consider as nervous energy. And I'm like, Oh, I'm not nervous. I'm so excited. I mean, right before I went to go pitch for the ignite grant, I was like, Oh my God, I'm so excited. Like I got a captive audience. They're going to, all they want to do is just hear what I have to say. That's so great. And so I, I try to hop on that train whenever I can. But Jenna, you're so engaging. I mean, of all those 27 people that were at that pitch, I think I think I connected with you pretty fairly early on because it was just it was so easy to speak with you, you know, and you had all that positive energy flowing. It was like, give me, give me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because I, I, I'm the type of person. I mean, it's a, I've been performing in front of people for more than 25 years. Like just bearing, bearing my soul out on a stage. And so it's, if I don't get to do that, I get really squirrely because I got like too much in there and I got to give it somewhere. And if I don't, if I don't perform, I I get, my anxiety gets really, really bad. And it's my number one way to manage my, my anxiety is to perform, which is totally opposite from most people. Yeah, I would say so. Most people be terrified. <laughs> like I, I need it. I need it. I need a, an, an audience somehow, which is part of why I started this show because it was pandemic and I couldn't go do a lot of poetry readings or play music with my band or anything like that. And so I was like, what can I do? I got to do something. And so um, I just I just love being able to connect with people and then now I can record them and save them and share them with everyone, which is so fun. It's fabulous. So, cause we all benefit from you doing this. So thanks. Uh, well, thank you for being here today. Uh, sorry. So before we get too distracted, question number two, when you feel defeated or overcome, what do you tell yourself to keep going? Um, this too shall pass. And just remember, just keep reminding myself why I'm doing this and what my end goal is. And regardless of all this crap that's hitting me right now, I'm just going to make my way through because I've set this goal and this guiding light. And regardless of all this crap hitting me, I'm not going to let it defeat me. So this is kind of like the mantra that I have to tell myself. This too shall pass. This crap shall all pass because I'm still on the path to where I need to go. And if it's blocked, I'm still going to find a way to get there. (laughs) Yes, that's totally like the motto of 2020. We need shirts. This crap will pass. (laughs) (laughs) And it does. I mean, what's the alternative, right? Are you going to give up? Are you going to be happier if you give up? No. Exactly. Just deal with it and move forward. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Number three, tell me about a way that you overcame a failure or a mistake and what you learned from it. Oh, there's so many. (laughs) How to choose. Um, I feel like every time we have a failure, you need to step back and ask yourself, Why did you fail? Is this really a failure? And what can I learn from this? And and then really internalize that. And don't try to make excuses. It was because of this external reason. It's because of so-and-so. No. I mean, all these things happen to us. But how how we react 
and how we respond is completely in our control. Mm-hmm. So once once you can, if you figure out why these things happen and what you learn from it, then you can make your next decision. Mm-hmm. And everything is in small bites. Um, if you think of it this way, if you have an entire cake, there's no way that you can eat the whole thing in one bite. And it's just, just you can't overcome it. Mm-hmm. But you know that if you eat one little piece at a time, eventually you're going to finish the cake or whatever it is. So your approach should be that way. Learn from the defeat and take a small bite, which is step toward where you need to go. So that's how that's how I want to approach it. Awesome. I love that. Okay, number four. What one trait or habit is most responsible for keeping you on track? My stupid grit. <laughs> I just refuse to give up. <laughs> um, and it's just I mean, that's what it takes. Anything that's worth having that's that important to you, mm-hmm. you have to have the fortitude and courage and understanding that you are going to do what it's necessary to get to that point. Mm-hmm. So you just have to keep going. Keep making decisions in that direction. That's not to say that you're going to, you, you know, go off trail or you have to create a different path. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a lot of things that's going to happen, but always staying really focused, having that grit to keep going and don't let other people tell you you can't do stuff because you can. And just really internalize that as, as who you are and you'll be fine. I love this show. I love it. (laughs) Whenever I'm having a crap day, I just turn on this part of every show and I just listen to like people's answers to all five of these questions because it's just like, oh, that's right. That's right. There's so many ways that you can overcome all these things that seem like they're getting in your way. And I love that. Yeah. So number five, the last one, what's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten and what advice would you give to other people? God, you ask all these really hard questions. <laughs> it's like a job interview. <laughs> well, let me see. Um, so many things are cliche, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's cliche for a reason. And I think the best advice that I got from anyone was someone telling me to be true to myself. And I have to turn around and give the same advice. Because if you do anything that's not true to who you are, um, failure is higher (laughs) for whatever that may be. And happiness is less. So um, if nothing else, you always have to really be true to who you are and, and just follow that, that core. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, obviously if, if you're not being really authentic and you don't, you know, practice own le- your own lessons that you try to teach other people and you don't live your, live your life in the way that you're kind of showing that you live your life, uh, people are going to know. You know? Right. <laughs> like people I mean, see that. Right. I mean, imitation is never good as the real thing. Exactly. You know, you have to be, you have to be authentic and, and genuine and, in 
in how you present yourself in the world, um, especially in a world that's so digital, like it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if you pretend that you're like super, super healthy and everything you do is really involved in being healthy and then somebody like gets footage of you, like <laughs> your face with McDonald's fries every day. You know, like. <laughs> I mean, people think of so many things as being binary. This is good. This is bad. This is healthy. This is unhealthy, but, but it's not. The whole world is really gray. Yeah. And from all that grayness, you have to figure out which shade you are. Yes, <laughs> right? Exactly. Exactly. I love that. I mean, every, you know, everything in moderation, right? Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. And oh. be, be kind to yourself. You just, you know, we're not perfect. We're going to make mistakes. That's fine. And just because you think you know who you are today, that doesn't mean you're the same person 10 years from now. So there has to be always that self-reflection that's ongoing and figuring out who you are because mm-hmm. that, that changes as with all of the interaction you have with other people, the more knowledge that we gain about everything around us. So that, you know, it, it's not set in stone. Mm-hmm. I love that. Oh. <laughs> So at the very end of the show, I always have everyone say uh, where people can find you and your and your Jacobars on the Internet. So if you want to tell everybody where they can find your stuff. Sure. Um, so if you're local in Buffalo, you could find my bars at Whole Foods. And actually at Whole Foods, you could buy them by the box and get 10 percent discount. Um, and they're also available at the, all the local co-ops. Feel right. And, and sometimes you might find them in coffee shops like Overwinter, um, Undergrounds, uh, up in uh, Lockport. There's a coffee shop there. Um, and of course, you could always find us on the web, www.jekabar.com. That's J E C A B A R.com. Cool. And are you on social media too? We are. Um, so you can follow us on Facebook at Jekka Energy Bars or on Instagram as Jekka underscore vegan. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure to tag all those in the show notes. So you can click right on them and go there. Um, and I'm excited that I'm going to add my box of Jekka Bars to my Whole Foods order and get my Amazon discount. I'm not a huge <laughs> Amazon fan, but I have that Amazon Visa card and it, it saves me a lot of money when I get stuff from Whole Foods. So, hooray. Yeah. I think if you're a Prime member, you get free deliveries, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to use it this week because my husband's out of town. <laughs> I don't want to go to the grocery store. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Marie, for being on the show. I appreciate you being here and taking the time to tell everybody your story. (laughs) Well, thank you, Jenna. This was a lot of fun. This is like one of the most fun interviews I've ever had. So thank you. Yay. That makes me really happy. I want this show to be different, you know, because a lot of podcasts tend to be, you know, they have somebody on and the person just selling their business the whole time and you don't get to know who they are as a person. And, And I think that you know, who's who somebody is as a person just informs so much about what it is and why, why it is that they do what they do. And I think that, I think we should have more, more opportunities to learn about the person behind the business instead of just the business that, you know, people can go check out the website and buy Jekyll bars and eat them all day long after they watch this. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. I would love that. <laughs> 
I mean, give us reviews. We want reviews. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll put a link to say where you can review the Jugga bars after you eat them in the show notes too. Awesome. Thank you so much, Marie. Thanks to everyone for listening. And uh, if you're on YouTube, you've been watching and we appreciate that. Uh, if you love this show, if you could go on to Patreon and become a patron, it's www.patreon.com slash reach the stars and help back the show helps us keep the lights on and uh, pay for the hosting and all that kind of stuff. And if you are on iTunes and you could go and leave us a review, that would make my little podcasty heart very happy because it helps them to show the show to people who would normally never see it. And uh, we will be back next week with a new inspiring story from a new person. Awesome. Bye, everybody. Have a great day. Bye. A single interaction has the power to change your life forever. This is a place for the stories of those moments. Stories of pursuing dreams, overcoming tragedy and failure, of coming back to life after so much of what feels like dying, of continuing on with only a vision as a map. This is the place where those moments live on. Come sit by the fire, look up at the stars, and be forever changed too. Thank you for being with us on the Reach the Stars podcast. Our theme music is generously provided by Byrocratic. You can find him on Bandcamp.com. Thank you to all of our current patrons, guests, and everyone else who helps make this dream a reality. We are so proud to be building this amazing community with all of you. If you love this podcast, please consider sharing with a friend, leaving a review on iTunes, and becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash reach the stars. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel to see the videos of these conversations. We'll see you next week. In the meantime, do something cool and tell us about it.